Tuesday Night Mystery Club. Hello and welcome to the Tuesday Night Mystery Club. I'm your host, Caitlin McCluskey, and today I am joined by one of my cousins, Jessica Kravis. Hi, Jess. Hi, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> so excited. <laughs> so as you know, this became a two-part episode after I finished recording and realized that it was three hours long and I thought that was too much to put into one episode. So welcome to part two of The Man in the Brown Suit by Agatha Christie. I'd like to go over some of the main points from last episode. So we met our main character, Anne Bedingfield, and she had recently come into some freedom after her father's death, allowing her to have more of an adventurous lifestyle that she had wanted. And so from that, she sees a death in a tube station. She hears about a death of a woman in the mill house that is that was to be let. And then she discovers a roll of film in that house, which causes her to run into the shipping office, which makes her buy a ticket for a cruise ship to go to South Africa. We are on the cruise ship. We are about to discover what the steward was paid to do. So the next day, Anne goes to interview the night steward that... So there was, there wouldn't have been stewardesses, I guess, on duty, but there was one night steward for the whole ship. Mm -hmm. And she goes to interview him about that roll of film, because presumably he was the one that delivered it to Mrs. Blair's room in the middle of the night. And so with a little bit of coaxing and some money, <laughs> some tips, he tells her that there had been a passenger on the Kilmorden from Cape Town to England. So the kind of, mm -hmm. I guess, the voyage in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. And he had paid the steward to to do it, to drop off these film, this roll of film or the canister. And the man had told him that it was a bet that uh, that him and someone returning had a bet. And so he paid him money to do this. And the steward kind of thought nothing of it and just did it on the day specified. Right. Okay. That's reasonable. Mm -hmm. The description of the man given by the steward matched up with the description of the man or the man who Anne had saw die in the tube so she's thinking it must be the same person okay that makes sense because he was like all tanned and whatever and must have just arrived from somewhere that's what she thought yeah when she first saw him yeah exactly okay so they kind of give the dis the idea that yeah this man pawn not pawns off but like pays the guy to take care of the diamonds on the ship he leaves and then maybe there was something he was supposed to meet up with that nadina woman who had died and then she was to get back on the boat and get the diamonds Right. Okay. That makes sense. I now understand their plan. <laughs> okay. So next, Anne goes to tackle Mr. Paget about, and I think it's like this idea of like, she's, she's now heard from Sir Eustace that he doesn't want to talk about Florence, about Italy, and she wants to get out of him why. And so she starts asking him questions about Florence and basically through a series of questions about like, oh, what did you think of this river? What did you think of this museum that are all lies? She discovers that he definitely had not been in Florence when he says he was. He's never been to Italy before. He knows nothing about it. Knew it. Which I think you hinted at. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you it. said. <laughs> and so she thinks he was actually in England at that point, but when she kind of goes to ask him more questions about that, he runs away. Okay. So he's really just doesn't know how to lie and he's 
a disaster to involve in a criminal activity. Right. I would say. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so then Anne and Mrs. Blair get together and kind of talk about next steps about, I think they're getting close to the end of their journey. They're about to arrive in South Africa. And so they decide that Anne will follow Shishester to Durban is like his final destination. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Blair will go with Sir Eustace, who's going to Rhodesia mm. um, on the train. Okay. And Mrs. Blair will, will use her powers of persuasion to convince Colonel Race to be invited to go with them. Okay. So that's how she'll keep, like, keep tabs on him too. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Don't you think Colonel Race like has somewhere to go though? How how can you just make that assumption? Like you have to bring him. <laughs> I guess it's the like the olden days. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the idea behind it is that so Sir Eustace has his own private train car going to Rhodesia, mm-hmm. and so I think both Mrs. Blair and Colonel Race were also going in that direction, but it's just to get them all on the same train car is what they're trying to do. Oh, okay, okay, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. So Anne and Mrs. Blair agree on this, and then Anne kind of goes up on deck. I think it's like the last night of their of their journey, so she goes up to kind of enjoy the night air. And suddenly, she's like standing at the edge, the rail of the deck, and she just senses danger. Mm. And as she turns around, this man like jumps at her and starts to attack her, and he's trying to push her over the railing. So what? she's fighting back with everything she's got. Oh my goodness! Terrifying. Yeah. And so as she's kind of saying she's starting to lose strength, another man comes out of nowhere and punches her attacker in the face. Mm. All right. <laughs> Thank goodness. And it ends up being the Rayburn guy with the like Scarface. He's the one that's come to save her. And as he like in the moment where he make like is checking to make sure he's okay, the first man who had originally attacked Anne gets up and starts to run away. Mm-hmm. So Rayburn goes to chase after him. And when they turn a corner of the deck, they find a man who has been colla- is, has collapsed beside one of the doors. And when they flip him over, they see that it's Mr. Paget. Oh, no. So, wait. Mr. Paget wasn't the one attacking her, though. He was, like, possibly another victim? Kind of unclear. I think, okay. I think they take it as he was the one attacking her. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So it just was so exhausting that he he's a really bad I don't know if he's good to involve in criminal activity. He's clearly incapable of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They they think that possibly when he tried to open the door, he'd hit himself in the face and knocked himself out. Ah. That's a solid theory. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, you're you're right. This guy sounds a little a little clumsy. Yeah. Okay. So now we go back to Sir Eustace's point of view, and he's kind of saying that he's happy to be getting off the ship because there seems to be, he's kind of describing it as like a network of intrigue going on around him, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't know anything about it. He just senses it from other people. Mm -hmm. And also that when he had woken up in the morning, Paget had a black eye and he was kind of going, what happened? And so he's telling the story of like what Paget had told him that Paget says that he was knocked out by Rayburn. Mm, Right. The other secretary. Right. And he, so Paget's story is that he'd heard someone prowling around outside his and Sir Eustace's cabin doors. And so he'd gone out to investigate and followed them up on deck. And once he was there, he had, like, had been knocked out. Okay. So he wasn't even the person running at all. He was knocked out before. That's what he's saying. I see. So that's his story. Okay. So once Sir Eustace got off the boat, 
he kind of says to Pajette, like, I can't take you anywhere. It looks disrespect, not disrespectful. It looks like disreputable for me to have a secretary with a black eye. So you stay behind, but I've got to go to, he goes straight to the prime minister's office because he had those like documents to deliver. Right. Um, But when he gets there, he's kind of writing how embarrassing it was, but the envelope has been replaced with blank paper. Oh, no. So somebody didn't want the mines to like, whatever's going on over there to be resolved or something. Yes. Okay. Something along those lines. And so Mr. Paget is kind of pushing the idea that he thinks it was Rayburn. He thinks there's something suspicious going on with the the quote unquote new secretary, mm-hmm. Mr. Rayburn. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some idea given about that within the authorities of, of South Africa. And people are starting to say that they think Mr. Rayburn is the man with the brown suit and that he's, he's now disappeared now. There's no, there's no sign of him. No one's heard from him. He's just like vanished into thin air. Okay. Weird. So he took the papers maybe. That's what, that's what Pajan is saying. And I think Sir Eustace is starting to think too. Okay. So then he kind of, uh, Sir Eustace is saying that he doesn't want to have to take Pajet to Rhodesia with him, mostly because he doesn't want to have to do work. And so he's kind of, hinting that he'll ask Anne to be his secretary, uh, uh. to which Paget is extremely against this idea. He doesn't seem to like Anne at all. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, he possibly tried to kill Anne. So, you know, we don't like him either. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, burn. <laughs> so now we jump back to Anne's perspective. And so this is... The last, the last morning on the boat, she's gone up, gotten up extra early to kind of see them go, coming into port and see like the first glimpse of the land of South Africa. And while mm-hmm. she's standing at the railing at the front of the boat, Rayburn comes and joins her. And he basically warns her that this is extremely dangerous business and he's not sure how she's gotten involved, but that she should stop if she wants to kind of survive. Oh, so he definitely knows more than anyone. Seemingly, yeah. yeah. Okay, right. And this is like this like morning before, like that's obviously before the prime minister's office and the discovery of the papers being missing, right? We just went back in time for, in Anne's perspective. We've gone back in time a little bit, yeah. yeah okay. It's the, the same day. This is the morning that they're disembarking. And so, okay. yeah, you, Sir Eustace has gotten off the boat and gone to the prime minister's office. Mm-hmm. This was Anne kind of telling her story before that happens. Right, okay. So he warns her and then they, they depart, they leave part ways Mm -hmm. and when they reach the hotel well that where they'll be staying mrs blair is engaged with lunch plans she has some friends down there so Anne goes up to her room to kind of just have a chill chill afternoon when a porter brings her a note that's from um, the museum curator in town and he says he's like he knew her he knew her father's work and he'd be interested to talk with her and will he come to lunch with him and his wife oh that's nice yeah, she thinks this is really nice that even though like her father is, his, her father's died, his kind of reputation precedes him, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess, or precedes her. And so she goes off, takes the train or whatever to get out to one of the suburbs. And when she arrives and is like kind of brought into the house, she immediately realizes that there is no museum curator and she's in the hands of the enemy. Oh, no. Well, I guess we yeah. should have seen that coming. <laughs> yeah right right because like nothing why would, boring happens in those like, stories <laughs> yeah like what as soon as you started talking about it i was like who would have found out that she was on the boat do they have like 
news do they like release news about who's arriving on boats like (laughs) okay actually that's exactly what they say in the note they say that they had seen that she had arrived in the newspaper yeah okay yeah that's what i was wondering because like that's kind of what was news then i guess there wasn't yeah yeah apparently yeah well, I'm sure the, the rebellion ship has arrived. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> like I feel like what they didn't put in the newspaper was anything about the Rand rebellions. <laughs> it's like there's the ship from England Possibly, coming. Yeah, yeah. The, the actual important stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeez. So, so she's in this house now, and she kind of describes there's like a Dutchman in the room with her, mm-hmm. and he basically says, "Ha ha ha! We've got you, sucker." And then ties her up and puts her in the attic. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. And he's basically telling her, like, the the colonel's going to be here tomorrow and you're going to have to answer some questions. Right. So she's she's not sure if she falls asleep or passes out or faints or whatever. But she, she wakes up kind of sometime during the middle of the night. And there's, like, some skylights in the attic, which is now that it's the middle of the night, she can see moonlight glinting on this piece of glass on the other side of the room. And so she takes this as her opportunity to try and, like, cut her bonds, mm-hmm. which takes a lot of time, but she is able to do. Good. And then she creeps downstairs. Luckily, the door has been left unlatched because I guess they thought her bonds were tight enough. Mm-hmm. And she finds that the Dutchman is in a meeting in the, in the downstairs room. And so she kind of listens in at the peephole of the door and then she looks through it and sees that the man that he's meeting with is none other than, do you want to take a guess? Rayburn someone we've met nope it's i don't know <laughs> chichester oh the re- oh i forgot about him i didn't like him either okay <laughs> oh yeah okay. okay okay okay. there's a lot of suspicious characters so yeah, that's true yeah it could have been any of them honestly <laughs> yeah okay so they're t- they're talking about how the colonel wants to question her um before he disposes of her so they're talking about this boat basically to take her body off out to sea and dump it okay so clearly like something's afoot so they're talking about the colonel like the colonel who's retiring like from the prologue yeah 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 that's the that's That's the the colonel they're talking about yeah okay and like i feel like basically they just can see that she knows something or whatever and so that's why they want her gone because she was just present at the first man's Mm -hmm. death maybe kind of unclear yeah it might just be they don't know what she knows right and they just want to know what she knows Okay. Yep. So luckily, Anne has, she's gotten untied. And so I think she waits a little bit longer until she knows it's safe to get out of the house and she gets away. And when she makes it back to the hotel the next morning, Mrs. Blair is so happy to see her. She's been so worried about her. And now they're not sure if Shishester actually left for Durban or not, as he said he was going to do. But they decide they should look into trains anyways, because originally the plan was Anne was going to go. And follow him. Yeah. I see. So then they, they go downstairs and Colonel Rice is in the hotel lobby and they have a chat with him. And he he's the one who tells them that the man in the brown suit has kind of been discovered to be Rayburn. And so they're, he's he's talking about that. They're kind of going over all those possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, later in the day, they go to find Sir Eustace to console him because he's super upset about this, this like man in the brown suit discovery. Mm-hmm. And like like contacting the parliament guy who said like no I didn't send him to you and so he's basically really embarrassed that he was duped like that. Okay, I said, yeah, that is embarrassing a little. <laughs> <laughs> 
Then Sir Eustace asks Anne if she'll be his secretary. But she says, no, sorry, I can't. I'm going to Durban. I have to go to Durban. They don't want to, neither her nor Mrs. Blair want to tell him what's really going on. And so he says, I'll have to send Paget to to go out and find me another secretary from one of the government offices. And so I think this is, he's like steadfast on the like, I can't bring Paget anywhere with me with his black eye and I want to get rid of him. Like, I don't want to be around him for a couple of weeks. <laughs> okay. So Anne and Mrs. Blair, they, now that they know that Paget is actually staying in Cape Town, they're super suspicious of him. They kind of don't know if Chichester actually went to Durban, but they want to make it look like Anne is still going to Durban. So they decide they're going to like fake her getting on the train, whereas she'll actually just stay in Cape Town to keep an eye on Paget. Yeah, smart. So they go out to leave and get their bags. And as it so happens, Paget just is taking the car into town and he offers to drive them, which they kind of say, oh no, it's okay. But when he pushes, they have no choice but to say, yes, take us to the train. Well, he's kidnapping them. That's what I think. <laughs> nope, they, nope, they get to the train station. But it is really annoying because he comes right up to the train with them and like says, oh no, I have to take your bags. Like I'll make sure you get on the train. He was kind of watching just standing there watching for Anne to leave. And so she has to basically jump off the train out of back entrance as it's moving. Right. And leave like she leaves her bag on the train. So he also really wanted to make sure that she was going to Durban. Seems so. Yeah. But he has alternative motives. Mm -hmm. So as she's kind of getting out of the train station, trying to run away, she runs into this man who she kind of says has a big nose. (laughs) Okay. Which is only important because she goes and like checks in at a cheap hotel um, and the next morning when she's going to go leave and go back into town she sees this same man with the big nose and so she kind of performs like an experiment about like getting on and off the the, the tram the streetcar mm-hmm. and she realizes that this man is following her okay not good no does he have a shiny chin <laughs> uh it's not mentioned i'm gonna say no <laughs> So she goes in to get an ice cream soda and think, and she kind of says that a man would want a pint of beer, but women always want ice cream sodas, which I don't think I relate to. No, I don't relate to that at all. I never crave an ice cream soda. (laughs) Never. (laughs) No. Maybe like tea. Maybe just ice cream. Yeah, maybe. I don't want to. What am I craving when I want to think? When I want to think? I feel like when I want to think, it's like I'll just drink a latte. Yeah. I think that, that like, yeah, coffee that or tea is probably yeah. like, I think a latte, like, it doesn't necessarily make me think well. It's just daydreaming kind of thinking when I'm drinking a latte. <laughs> so that's the best thing yeah, to come yeah, up yeah. with. <laughs> <laughs> so, in any case, that's her description. So, Anne is thinking, she's thinking that race must be Secret Service. Like, that's to fit things in. She's like, it has to be. Mm hmm. I don't know what reasoning she gives for that. I think it's just like, why Why is he here? Why is he doing all of this kind of stuff? Okay. Do they have any proof? Do they have any proof that like Colonel Race is like really his name? No. No. Okay. okay. I don't think so. Okay. I don't even know if they ever give like what his job is. I guess he's just a rich guy traveling the world. I feel like that's pretty common for people traveling the world in like 1922. Yeah. It fits in, right? Yeah. <laughs> Like that's what that's Mrs. Blair. That's her description. She has a rich husband, and she just goes off on these. Okay, I didn't realize adventures. she had a husband. Yeah, she's a Mrs. I see. Back when Miss and Mrs. were important distinctions. 
true. I uh, once did an application recently and it was like all the miss, misses, whatever options. The only option was miss, yeah. M-I-S-S. I was like, really? Of all of them, that's the one you kept? Like, kept? Because they, they got rid of all the other options. So you could just say miss, like M-I-S-S, miss. It's like, why? Interesting. Yeah. Like, why have them at all? Why have what? Th- like, why have them at all? And like, why did you keep that one? <laughs> good question yeah that was weird anyway that is weird like yeah so mrs blair is is married i guess i never said that okay it's i don't know that it's important necessarily yeah, no. okay so as she's thinking her shadow the guy who's been following her leaves the cafe and so she goes to like look after him and see what he's doing and she sees that he's talking to mr paget and they kind of he pulls out his like watch, checks the time, and then the man goes off to speak to a police officer across the street. And Anne kind of clicks into what's going on. And she's realizing that she looks at the time to see what time it is and sees that it's almost 11, meaning that all of her friends, their train is leaving. And so she's kind of realizing there's no one left in Cape Town that can help her. Mm-hmm. And so she's thinking that he's talking to the police officer. He's going to try and blame some crime on her. And no one will be able to help her. Right. And so as she goes to pay for her ice cream sodas and get out of there, she finds a men, man's wallet stuffed with cash in her purse. Oh, okay. So they like planted some stuff on her. Yeah. And so she books it out of there and starts just running like hell. And I think at some point she realizes that she's close to the train station. And so she starts heading in that direction and is able, she sees the train starting to like chug out of the station and she runs and runs and runs and jumps on the train. Oh man. It's like out of a movie. Yeah, Anne is kind of a badass here, I think. She yeah. like escaped yeah. being like kidnapped and is hiding and now literally ran and jumped onto a train. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, she's pretty cool. All right. So Sir Eustace thinks now we're back to Sir Eustace's point of view, I guess what's what's happened. We're on the train now from his point of view. And he's kind of going about how his secretary dilemma is ridiculous. How he had Paget and then from a man with the brown suit was his secretary and he ends up being a criminal. And then he gets Miss um, the, the, the woman that Mr. Paget secures for him from the government ends up being this woman called Miss Pettigrew. And he kind of is describing her as like a super ugly woman, which is... Oh, no. He had wanted a woman because he wanted someone, like, beautiful to look at, which is kind of gross, but there kinda you have gross. it. Yeah, but that's just what they did. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now he has Anne, who has apparently, she said she got on the train to be his secretary, even though he's kind of going, I don't think that's true. But look at that. I have three secretaries now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So he's also super upset because Colonel Race is kind of getting all the women's attention, Mrs. Blair and Anne's, mm-hmm. and he's he's stuck with his quote unquote ugly secretary. So <laughs> poor Mrs. Pettigrew. <laughs> yeah, right. And you can, but you can just picture like Sir Eustace as this like man who doesn't want to do any work and kind mm-hmm. of is obsessed with pretty woman. Mm-hmm. This fits into his personality. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so. We were just talking about the unfortunate secretary. Oh, yeah, Mrs. Pettigrew. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what day they left, but they by Thursday, let's say it's a few days later, Sir Eustace is kind of saying he's realized 
what Anne, like that Anne is actually a journalist. And so now he's like, oh, this makes sense what mm. she's been doing and everything. That's why she wanted to get on the train. And it's because she's been kind of sending cables back to England, mm. like super long cables describing everything. And kind of the idea of like her, she's not lying, but she's playing up the truth. So she's going on about um, my journey with the man with the brown suit or the, she's the one who tells everyone that the the woman who died in the mill house is Count Nadine or Countess Nadina mm-hmm. or Mademoiselle Nadina, the Russian dancer. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I see. So they also think race is able is telling everyone that the police, the South African police, think that Mister Rayburn is heading to Rhodesia as well, mm-hmm. and so. Sir Eustace thinks that's why Anne changed her mind as a reporter. She wanted to be on the spot and follow the man in the brown suit so she could like get more more stories. Right. Right. Okay. He's on to her. Yeah. There's like this kind of cute little tidbit of every time the train stops that you can get off and buy like souvenirs or trinkets from the locals. Mm -hmm. And both Anne and Mrs. Blair buy all these like hand carved wooden animals. And by the time they're done, they have 49 of these little trinkets. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. But I can just picture that happening. Like if you went into every souvenir shop. Yeah, it would. Like I'm actually like honestly holding a little wooden trinket from Mexico. It's like a little owl. There you go. There you go. So imagine 49 of those. 49 of those. (laughs) Terrible home decor. (laughs) So then we're we're back to Anne's perspective and she's saying her and Mrs. Blair spent their first night on the train basically staying up all night and discussing possible suspects like is it Colonel Race? Is it Mr. Paget? Is it Sir Eustace? Is it Shishester? Who who else could it be? Mm Mm-hmm. And this is where they agree that Anne needs to play her part as the reporter. And Lord Nasby, the the daily budget owner, is thrilled and immediately gives Anne like a position and a and and pays her to for her work. All right, cool, good for her, getting employed. <laughs> oh yeah. So on Friday, the next day, they arrive in Bula, Bulawayo, which is I guess just one of the the stops where they're able to get out and get off the train and sleep in a hotel. Mm-hmm. And Anne, as they're kind of like getting off the train and taking out all their their trinkets, she kind of feels as though Miss Pettigrew doesn't like her. Like she's getting this like cold shoulder feeling. And she's also feeling like she recognizes her face from somewhere. Mm. Okay. So later in the day, Anne and Colonel Race drive out to the Matapos, which is just like... It's just a famous landmark, I guess, in the area, like a sightseeing opportunity. And they have some pretty deep conversations about love. And <laughs> Colonel Race asks Anne, <laughs> Colonel Race asks Anne, why are you really here? To which I don't think she responds. I think she says the same thing back to him. Um, and then on their drive back to the hotel, Colonel Race, Colonel Race asks Anne to marry him. To which she says no, and Colonel Race then says this this gem of a phrase, I know now what I have to do. And he's all like solemn and serious about it. Oh no. <laughs> what? I know now what I have to do. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Good question. <laughs> That's a little ridiculous. <laughs> 
So then they're back on the train and the next day they arrive at what are called the falls. And again, I assume famous landmark in South Africa. And Anne, as she's getting off the train, feels super restless and like this feeling of something's going to happen. And even Miss Blair notices it about her, like that her personality has changed. And so they go on a tour of the falls to kind of see them. And of course, they're absolutely beautiful. They go to the rainbow forest and that's beautiful. And they're kind of walking along the path and they know where to go because it's marked with like white stones along it on either side. Mm -hmm. And so then they all go up to their rooms I guess after dinner and Anne receives a note like one of the porter brings it up to her. So the note says, I must see you. I dare not come to the hotel. Will you come to the clearing by the palm gully? In memory of cabin 17, please come. The man you knew as Harry Rayburn. Okay. So Harry Rayburn's there. Mm -hmm. I think that I'm with Anne and that I trust Harry Rayburn character. I don't like, right? Like Mm -hmm. he hasn't shown up in any of like he's only shown up to help her except for that first time when he was rude i guess yeah that first meeting yeah okay so Anne is she's ecstatic she's like ah this is what that feeling was that i was feeling all day i could feel that he was close and so she goes to check and finds miss mrs blair she can hear her snoring so she knows she's sleeping and then she goes by sir eustace's room and she can hear him dictating to miss pettigrew who's like typing and then she goes to Colonel Race's room, but there's no sign of him anywhere. She can't find him. Mm-hmm. But she's kind of like, the show must go on. Like, I need to I need to go find him. Mm-hmm. So she goes out to the clearing and waits and waits and nothing happens. And so she kind of takes a few steps into the middle of the clearing. And she hears a rustling behind her, but doesn't. She turns, doesn't see anything. And she takes a few more steps and then turns and sees a man who jumps at her. And so she starts running as fast as she can. And there's no moon, so she can't see anything. So she's just following these white stones on the path mm-hmm. when suddenly her foot feels nothing beneath it and she falls into the cavern of the falls. Oh my goodness. That was not the right way to run. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So it's possible that like whomever sent the message like just knew that she would definitely leave if it's Harry Rayburn out there. Like, she wouldn't be able to resist yeah. and so she would go. And that's how they – like, I think it's mm-hmm. Pajette or whatever or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. So now – so then Anne wakes up in kind of like this strange hut and Rayburn is there. And so he tells her that she's been, like, knocked out for almost a month and – he had found her caught in like a tree on the on the edge of the cliff and that basically if her clothes hadn't caught on that she surely would have died so he had found her he says that he'd also had this like feeling that day of like i guess anxiety or something about to happen which is why he had gone to the falls so he, he had picked her up and brought her back to this hut which is actually his house he's like i'm from here this is where i live it's kind of like four miles away from anything in the middle of on an island in the middle of the river very isolated very isolated okay so hopefully he is in fact good (laughs) right yeah okay and so he he describes to her he had gone up onto the cliff edge after he had found her body and he had seen he could tell that those white rocks it looked like they had been moved they were all back in the right place before but he thinks that someone moved them Mm. So that you would run right off the cliff if you were following them. 
Okay. Okay. So they they like just staged a whole trap for her. Yeah. Someone did. Okay. So then there's like a whole chapter basically of them falling in love as she like recovers and like recuperates, but I won't go into that, but you can picture it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw someone describe, so this was, this was like the Agatha Christie book club of the month for July. And I saw someone describing how they were like disappointed that there was this great female character who's like, you know, doing it all. And then they just like messed it up with a love story. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> so we're cutting it out. <laughs> so then yeah you know they're talking a lot they're getting to know each other and harry ends up so his full name is harry rayburn he ends up telling her the story of who he really is and she says i think i can guess one thing i think your real name is harry lucas and you're one of those young men that discovered the diamonds right that makes sense yeah to tie everything together Mm mm-hmm and so he describes that after getting back from South America, they had these diamonds with them. They were both so excited that they were like making a name from them for themselves. And so they had, they were going to bring them to the beers to get them processed. And before they had done that, they had met this young woman in the hotel they were staying at called Anita Grunberg. And they had both fallen in love with her. She had been beautiful and charming. Mm-hmm. But it turns out she was actually married to a De Beers sorter. And he had made, or she had made with his help, a substitution of the diamonds that they had found. She'd like taken them from them and made the substitution to make it seem as if they were the ones that stole the diamonds. Okay. So as he's saying, his friend, John Eardsley had been disowned by his father and they both joined the army together in this like feeling of needing to relieve the pain. (laughs) And so Eardsley had died and Harry had been declared missing in action which he just decided never to correct that statement because his he felt like his life was kind of already worthless. Right, okay. So he was like, perfect, perfect outing here. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so he says that suddenly one day a couple months ago, or several months ago, he had recognized Carton as that husband, or the, 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 the De Beers sorter. And so he had followed him and then threatened him to tell him the full story of what was going on. And so that's how he found out that Carton was going to England where to meet his wife, Nadina, where they were going to like try and blackmail the, the colonel. Right. Okay. So so he had gotten on the boat as well and followed him to England. Okay. So he just ended up in England, basically. Basically, yeah. Okay. I think his, his intentions were if these diamonds came to light, his, his innocence could be proved. Right. Yeah. These like real diamonds that were stolen like years ago from wherever debris yeah. or whatever it's called. Yeah. Okay. So then this is kind of where, so Anne kind of knows the rest. And so then Anne starts telling him her story and he's shocked that she, she, the diamonds have been in like her possession and Mrs. Blair's the whole time. Like he had no idea. Okay. I guess not hers. They've been in Mrs. Blair's possession. Right. And he also finds it interesting that Paget was actually in England, or at least they think that he was actually in England, because he's kind of saying he doesn't think that Paget necessarily killed Nadina, but he's saying it makes it look like Paget was supposed to be the original scapegoat before Harry came along to be the scapegoat for the murder. I see. Okay, so yeah, so they were like gonna set, they were gonna like frame Paget, but then they didn't need to because Harry showed up, basically. Okay. Yeah, or that's they're they're theorizing that that could be what happened. Mm-hmm. 
So that they decide that Anne has recovered enough and that they should get out of there. So they decide to leave the next morning. But before they can go, they were like going to get up at dawn. A boat of men arrives in kind of like the dead of night. And they both exchange gunfire with each other. So luckily, Harry has a couple guns in his hut. Perfect. And the men in the boat have some guns and they shoot at each other. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so they kind of realize that they're almost, they're cornered. So they end up, I think, setting the hut on fire or something. And then they swim the opposite direction to the other shore and like run away or something. Okay. So just make it look like maybe they're dead. Yes. Maybe. They get out of there. And as... They're kind of leaving, or they make it to Livingston, which is, I think, the four miles, like the town, the closest town, where they're, they'll be able to catch a train because the, the train goes through there. And they also decide that they need, there's been too many letters of people saying they are who they not. So they decide to create a code and any telegrams that they send will be signed off with Andy. And then they'll know that it's really between the two of them. And any letters, um, you have to cross out the word and, and then they'll know that it's from from the other person okay okay smart so let's stop here for a minute mm-hmm. and tell me what do you think's happening in any sense of that word <laughs> <laughs> okay okay so i have my question right now i want to figure out is like what the heck was the reverend up to obviously he's a bad guy mm. and was not a reverend at all and there was that note that was warning him like not to do this alone or something. Yeah. It was like something about cards and like his hand or something. I don't know. That's what I, Mm -hmm. that's what I kind of understood from that note at least. So I want to know who was threatening the Reverend and then like, how does that fit into the whole story? You know? Sure. Yeah. And also like, is, like, Colonel Race just, like, out of the story now? He inherited all of that money, right? Wouldn't... Yeah. I wouldn't say he's out of it yet. Yeah, because he's, like, definitely tied in some way because he's inherited all of the yeah. money that Harry Rayburn's friend was, like, could have gotten or should have gotten if he wasn't out of the family, right? Yeah. Colonel Race is definitely somehow involved there. I don't know. Like, would it matter if, like the real diamonds like were to surface like would that matter to colonel race Mm. is he trying to keep those like is he trying to get like his hands on that so that you know harry rayburn doesn't clear his name i don't know possibly it is we only have colonel race's account for like the the will and everything but he says that the lord eardsley the rich guy Mm -hmm. had died interstate which means like with no will so just the next of kin inherited everything. So he doesn't, so he could just be the colonel. Yeah. Right? Like the bad guy colonel. And he just likes to take yeah. on personas as colonels. And that's why he has that name. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So like, is it possible that like, well, what happened in room set? Oh, but it was room 17 and, or room 71. Yes. Because, like, it, everything happened in room 17, but, like, it was because they misread it and it was room 71. But then that means that all three of those mm-hmm. people misread that note. Yeah. Okay. So all of them knew that the Russian ballet dancer was going to be in that room, which is a note that only Anne knew about because she had the note. So all of them, like, the Reverend 
and Harry Rayburn should have also seen that note, right? Or and Pichette. Yeah. So basically, I've thought through that. Like, I want to include the Reverend again in my theory because I don't want to forget about him. Yeah. And yeah. Like, how come Sir Eustace is so clueless also? Because all of this is happening around him and, like, he's just, like, completely clueless. And I'm annoyed by that. Yeah. Just a little bit. I don't know. I have no <laughs> I honestly don't know what to think right now. <laughs> okay. Do you want to just, like, even if you don't have necessarily reasoning for it, do you want to pick one person to be who you think the colonel is? The quote-unquote colonel? So I think that the colonel is, like, I think the colonel is... Mm, I don't want to like I don't want to pick Bajet because he's so clumsy and then I don't want to pick Colonel Race <laughs> because he's so like it seems too easy to just make him that character because like maybe, mm, maybe it okay. is Colonel Race but it just feels like that was just an easy way to give Colonel Race like a point or purpose in this story mm. you know uh-huh. and then I feel like, yeah. is it really the Reverend? Because like he he was in a meeting with the Colonel, presumably, or mm-hmm. talk or in a meeting with somebody where they were talking about the Colonel. So therefore, that's not necessarily him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna just like say that it could be Pichette, yeah. maybe. I don't know. <laughs> okay, you can all like feel free to change your mind if anything else comes up, and you're like, wait, wait, okay. wait. Or add to why you think it's that person and okay. why it makes okay. sense. I'm not holding you to this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, basically, Anne's been, like, disappeared for forever. And so, Sir Eustace, Mrs. Blair, Colonel Race have, like, kind of had to go about their, like, we're now getting their perspective of what happened mm-hmm. that night from Sir Eustace's diary. And so, he's explaining that he had been really upset that morning because he had been woken up several times in the night. And then in the evening, kind of like close to midnight, he had been dictating to Miss Pettigrew. And when Mrs. Blair had kind of like suddenly burst into his room and she had said she had a bad dream about Anne. And so just to like settle her nerves, she had gone in to check on her, but Anne wasn't in her bed. Hmm. And so she's kind of saying to Sir Eustace, what should I do? What should I do? Like, what do we do now? And Sir Eustace is kind of trying to calm her down and be like, it's okay, everything's going to be fine. And it's probably not a big deal. Like, have you talked to Colonel Race? And when he finds out that Colonel Race isn't in his room, he's like, there you go. Colonel Race and and they probably just went on a walk together. Like, they'll be back soon. It's not a big deal. It's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. But then Colonel Race returns and comes into the room. And he's not been on a walk for Anne and also is treating this a lot more seriously. So he immediately... He immediately, like, gets the whole hotel as a search party, like, like call up people from different towns, and they're looking all over for her, but kind of with, to no avail, they don't find Anne anywhere, mm-hmm. and they decide, like, they just chalk it up to sleepwalking, because they didn't find a body anywhere, and there's a little bit of an idea that there's a disturbance near the falls on the cliff edge, mm-hmm. so they're thinking maybe she walked over the cliff, but they're not sure. Mm. And then uh, maybe a couple days later or weeks later, I'm not sure when, Sir Eustace needs to leave for Johannesburg, which they call Joburg. Right. <laughs> Joburg. That's cool. Obviously. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And that's like, Joburg is like where the main fighting is going on about the Rand Rebellion. Oh, right. So this was Sir Eustace's like original point of like traveling was 
to make sure everything was going okay. I think maybe he has like he he owns shares in some of the mines. Yeah, or something, like yeah, he so probably he's yeah. checking up on things. Yeah, he's just making sure his money's still in order or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. As you do when you're rich. Yeah. And a colonizer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so Mrs. Blair was supposed to come with him, like accompany him to Joburg. But kind of at the last minute, she changes her mind. And he kind of is saying he thinks that she kind of wants to keep an eye on Colonel Race. Mm-hmm. And so that's why she's staying behind. But she asks him, she has all these like souvenirs and things that she's acquired. She has too much luggage. So she asks him to take charge of some of her cases for her. And what they end up working out is they send two of the cases to Cape Town where Paget is still, Mm. still in Cape Town, um, where he'll kind of like pick them up for her and store them. And then he takes, Sir Eustace takes two of the smaller cases with him to Joburg. Okay. So when he gets to Joburg, he's kind of saying it's not doing too well. And he also has to accept that Paget is now going to join him, join back up with him as a secretary. He can't, he basically is saying, I can't keep him away any longer. Mm -hmm. And so while he's there, he meets up with one of the government officials from the town and the government official warns him that he should leave. He should get out of here. Like things are getting really serious. It looks like food is starting to run out, but Triustis declines. He's kind of like, all my interests are here. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm fine. I'll, it'll, it'll be fine. But he's kind of saying a few days starvation won't hurt me. Okay. This is too important. Apparently. <laughs> and on his way back to the hotel, he stops at like a curio souvenir shop and is looking in the window, thinking about like buying some things. When Colonel Race walks out the door and kind of runs into him. And so he, he kind of is going, I did not realize you were in Joburg. I thought you were going on to Rhodesia. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of get to talking and they've discussed that Anne has reappeared. So this is like the new development. And Anne has sent a letter to race Colonel race saying that she was going to Beira, which is how she would like catch a boat and go back to England. Mm -hmm. But Sir Eustace says, Oh, that's funny because I just got a telegram from Mrs. Blair saying that her and Anne were in Kimberley together. So who's lying is basically what he's saying. Okay. Yeah, who is lying? No one? Good question. Both of them? Someone has to be in that picture, because Anne can't be in Kimberly with Mrs. Blair and on her way to Barra. Yeah, so one of them's lying. Okay. Yeah, so Sir Eustace shows the telegram to Colonel Race and kind of goes, listen, women lie sometimes, so I don't think she's going back to England. (laughs) Listen, women are liars. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) Then as as he's kind of going into his hotel, the government official he'd been talking to comes back to him and says, I need to I need to question you about your secretary. And Sir Eustace is immediately like, oh, not this again. And he kind of goes, I had no idea when I hired him. Like it was I thought I thought he was being sent with me as a as a, a bodyguard. Like I did not realize that he was actually the man in the brown suit. Like I did not think he would steal those papers. Like really, you got to trust me. And the government official goes, no, I'm not talking about that secretary, the other one. And then Sir Eustace goes, Mr. Paget, like he's been with me for eight years. He's very trustworthy. What do you mean about him? Mm-hmm. And the government official goes, no, the woman, the other one. Ah. Uh, and so then I, uh, Mrs. Pettigrew or Anne, Mrs. Pettigrew. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she kind of says, we saw her entering this curio shop, which 
we are pretty sure is just a front for the kind of secret rebels or the people behind this rebellion. Mm. And so we're, we think she might be a part of this. And Sir Eustace kind of says, first off, I was about to enter that souvenir shop. Like, why can't, like, would you suspect me too? Like anyone can go into a shop. That doesn't mean anything. And two, hired her from your government, the secretary. So what are you trying to say here? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But aren't those like little shops where they got the wooden things? Like, aren't those what Mrs. Blair was going into and collecting so many of them as well? Uh, these seem different. Like, okay. Joburg seems to be like a big town, like a big city. A big city. Um, okay. And so it's like more of a shop. Whereas okay. they were just buying them from like locals along the side of the road. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I see. So any of the, any of that change um, your opinion? Or well, okay. Ideas? So I was like wondering about like, mrs pettigrew just because sir eustace just immediately like disregards her and like just allows her into this Mm. like web you know what i mean so like how come Mm -hmm. she was allowed like how come sir eustace just doesn't ask any questions you know Mm -hmm. she was with sir eustace the whole night that Anne was like scared and like thrown yeah basically off a cliff by her own will yeah could have Mrs. Pettigrew been the one that gave the telegram and like, or whatever the note, or did the porter give her? Oh, the like note? wrote it up. Yeah. Anne says it's a porter. Yeah, Anne. Okay, supporter. Maybe Sir Eustace just is constantly playing dumb. <laughs> mm. I don't know. <laughs> 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 okay. I'll keep going. There's still there's still a couple more things. Yeah. Okay. 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 So now we go back to Anne's point of view. And so her and Mrs. Blair have met up in Kimberly. So that's the more, there's the truth. They are in Kimberly. Mm -hmm. And so she explains, so it seems that she has written a letter to Colonel Ray. Either she's lied to Colonel Race and said she's going to Beira, or Colonel Race lied to Sir Eustace and said he had gotten a letter from her saying she was going to Beira. Okay. So then... Mrs. Blair kind of explains to Anne that she was, once Anna disappeared, she got super suspicious of Colonel Race and didn't want the diamonds to be anywhere um, around him. So she kind of explains to Anne what she had done with the diamonds. She doesn't explain to us, though. So you'll have to guess. And then Paget, they find out that Paget is going to meet Sir Eustace in Joburg and will be passing through Kimberley on the train later that day. And so Anne decides she's going to go meet him and ask him a few questions. Mm-hmm. So the first being, she thinks that he was near the mill house, like in that area on January 8th. Like he had said he was in Italy, but really he was in that area. And so she's asking him, why were you, why are you there? And he kind of goes, oh, I, I really like, hasn't Sir Eustace told you already? Like he's been kind of making fun of me about Italy this whole time. I swear he knew. I thought he knew. And so after a lot of hoops about going like, and telling Paget, no, Sir Eustace hasn't told me anything. Finally, he tells her what, why he was in, how, why he was near the mill house. And again, does not tell us. So okay. you can guess. Right. I think that he was just in trouble. <laughs> he just didn't want to. He didn't want what to be in trouble. Like he just didn't want to go to Italy. He was oh. like, ah, I'm just going to stay. <laughs> I'll take my own vacation. Yeah. I'm just going to go wherever I want. I'm going to the mill house. okay so then Anne gets a letter she gets back to the hotel and gets a letter with full instructions for her to go to Joburg and it's signed Harry Rayburn 
not Andy. Right. So she knows, she clues in immediately, this is fake. I know this is fake this time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're getting, we're like basically at the end. So if you can stick to your guess, modify it a little bit, change it to whatever you want. But this is Sue time, I think. Okay. I think that, I think that Colonel Race is not to be trusted here because he's in Johannesburg and he's already like forged a letter and said it was from Anne. So, and he wasn't in the room the night that she got put, like was off the cliff. Right. So. Hmm. Colonel Race, like, therefore, could be the one that's, like, trying to get her into certain places using letters. That seems to be his tactic and mm-hmm. whatever. What I don't understand mm-hmm. is what what is his motive here? What is he trying to acquire? Like, does he just mm-hmm. want – does he just want to stop Anne because he doesn't want anyone to know that, you know, somebody was killed and maybe at his – hand like nobody knows everybody's like over this whole story right like it feels like it's been handled yeah and so i don't get what his purpose is here i don't know good question okay and i'm also less skeptical of pajet like i think that it's possible that he's more of a a character that's been been there to kind of be the obvious culprit Mm. and in reality like he doesn't actually know what's really going on. He's just been acting like based on trying to keep him like Anne away from like Sir Eustace for some reason. I don't know. Maybe he's not ah, like, okay. like he's done some okay. bad things, but like he's not the bad guy. He's just mixed up in it. Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. So we we jump back again to Sir Eustace's point of view. He's saying that Paget has arrived in Joburg and he seems full of energy and kind of that's to the annoyance of Sir Eustace, who doesn't want to do do the work Paget wants him to do. Mm-hmm. And he also, by accident, when he's unpacking the typewriter, he by accident unpacks the, the two small cases that are Mrs. Blair's that Sir Eustace was keeping in his in his possession. Mm. And so he kind of, out of out of interest, asks what was in the cases. And so... Paget is telling him all about it. And then he also like endeavors to tell him, he tells him this whole story that they had heard about a bet that had gone on on the cruise ship they were on, on the Kilmorden, between one of like the night stewards. Mm -hmm. And that was like the whole, that's like the film thing, right? Yeah, the film thing and the diamond thing. So he kind of tells him, apparently Sir Eustace is saying it's pretty convoluted about what he's saying. So, but he, he thinks he gets the gist about the bet. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he later comes back to the hotel. Pajet's been out and he says that he saw Rayburn and that he had seen Rayburn going into a curio shop with none other than Miss Pettigrew. Ah. And so Pajet's saying that he's super suspicious of Miss Pettigrew. And so he had um, gone into her room and found a shaving kit and shaving soap. So he's like, I think she must be a man. And Sir Eustace is going, I don't know, like, do you know women shave too? Like that's not definite. But then Pajet says, yeah, but I also found a toupee. So I think Miss Pettigrew is actually a man. And so Sarah Eustace is kind of like, okay, I can agree to that. Okay. Wait, so hold on. Miss Pettigrew is wearing like a wig is what they're saying. Basically, yeah. Or I'm confused about that. Like, so they think that like it's a man that's shaving and pretending to be a woman. Like he's shaving his beard. Okay. I see. 
But yeah, women also maybe. Well, I don't think women shaved their legs that much at that time, did they? Really? I don't know. Okay. Um, I think I don't know either, but I think that's the idea that Sir Eustace is giving is that mm-hmm. Paget might not know because it's not super common, but right. that not impossible. Right. Okay. So, okay. Can we go on? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so then he tells him his story about, so that he kind of says, I have like, I have something personal to tell you. I really need to tell you. And he's kind of going, um, I wasn't like, I need to tell you about like being in England and all that and or about Florence like I'll tell you the truth and so Sir Eustace like finally like was it did like the husband catch you has it something to do with a woman and Paget's like what are you talking about like you know I wasn't in Italy like that was a lie and Sir Eustace is like no I don't and Paget's like yes you do like I saw you at the mill house I like I swear you saw me and that's why you've been like treating me and joking with me this whole time about being in Italy. Cause you knew I wasn't there. Cause you had seen me. Oh, Oh, so why? So he did go to the mill house and he thought he saw Sir Eustace maybe. Yeah. And he saw somebody else. Like he saw the murderer or someone. Yeah. And so he finally admits about to why he was near the mill house. And this is going to blow your mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because he's had a wife for eight years and four children that he's kept secret from Sir Eustace. And he visits them whenever he can. Oh, my gosh. What the heck? <laughs> Who, what? Why would you hide that information like that for that long? Oh, my God. He basically says that he they had got married like just a few months before he had gotten the job. And that he knew that secretaries, like this type of a secretary, you're not allowed to be married. Like he'd get fired if they found out he was married. So he had never told him. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) What the heck? Four kids. Four kids. (laughs) Just like, you're a mystery. (laughs) What the heck? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So hold on. So where did they run into each other? At the mill house? Somewhere in that area, because that's where Mr. Paget and his wife, they have like a small house near there. Okay. Paget see, like, is kind of saying like that he had seen Sir Eustace there while he was supposed to be in Italy. And he assumes that Sir Eustace saw him as well. Right. Okay. Okay. I see. I see. So Paget, like, it really isn't up to anything. But he is kind of. Uh, yeah, I guess it depends what you mean by up to something. That's a good point. I don't really know either. <laughs> Who would, like, who's Mrs. Pettigrew then? Take a guess. It's someone you know. Okay. Oh, so it is. So it's like there is a male character who's also being Mrs. Pettigrew, essentially. Yeah. Okay. Is it the Reverend? Yeah. Yeah, it is, eh? Because he just disappeared from the story. Yeah. Like, he left very conveniently right when she showed up. Yeah. He also supposedly had dressed up as a stewardess at some point. Oh, yeah. Duh. Because he dressed up as a steward. Did he dress up as the stewardess and put the the um, that's right, the diamonds into the into Mrs. Blair's room? Oh yeah. No, so the that was like a separate thing. The the steward, the actual steward, had put the diamonds oh, yeah. into Mrs. Blair's room. The stu like quote unquote fake stewardess was the one that had knocked on Anne's door in the middle of the night. Right. Okay. So the Reverend was clearly after Anne, but he was trying to get rid of Anne. So he must have been the person that murdered the people at the beginning. Hmm. Because 
that's like the only reason I can understand because Anne's only involved in this because she just kept asking uh-huh. questions after the fact in like the middle of their plan. Yeah. So so basically the Reverend was just going to show up and be in room 71, receive the diamonds when they were going to be dropped off. But he was going to room 17 because of the dot on the paper and not room 71. Yes. And Mrs. Blair just happened to be there. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So my mind is blowing. I'm not like, <laughs> like I can't, like I, my mind is going too fast to make words and I can't, I've now confused myself. So <laughs> let's just like, okay, I'm going to stop there and I'm going to rethink stuff now. <laughs> okay. I'll I'll keep, I'll start telling you like we're at we're basically at like the solution now or like the, okay. the final okay. final legs of the story. Okay. So we go, we jump back to Anne's point of view and she is kind of she's got this note from quote unquote Harry even though she knows it's not Harry but she kind of she wants to follow up on it anyways and so she convinces Miss Blair Mrs Blair who's kind of very against the idea but agree like finally agrees and so. I get the, basically the plan is she's going to just follow along with the instructions, even though she knows it's a trap. Mm-hmm. And so she gets to the location that they tell her to, this man picks her up and brings her to a house on, in one of the suburbs of Joburg. Mm-hmm. And she gets into the house and walks into the room and who is sitting behind the desk, none other than Mr. Chichester, right. Elias, Miss Pettigrew. And so he's kind of going, welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah. And because Anne knew that something like this was going to happen, she's not surprised. Mm-hmm. And he kind of goes, we've got some questions for you or something like that. Mm-hmm. And she says, I'm not speaking to underlings. I'll only speak to the, the colonel, basically. Okay, the colonel. And Chichester kind of goes, what are you talking about? What do you mean? And Anne goes, I'll only speak to Sir Eustace Peddler. Oh, okay. So she's like, that's the dude. It was <laughs> yeah, Sir Eustace. This is what she's pieced together. Okay. Is she right? Like, is that really the thing? Is it him? So Chichester kind of looks freaked out and he leaves the room. And then he comes back and tells her to follow him. And they go up to an upstairs office. And sitting behind that desk is Sir Eustace Peddler. Right. So he's there. Yeah. So she sits down to talk to him and is kind of frightened by how cheerful he is. Like he, it's like he, he knew all of this was going to happen and is so pleased with himself. And so he kind of tells, he, I think he answers a few of her questions, but basically he wants, he's like out with it. Don't lie. Tell me the entire truth. Nothing but the truth from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And she's smart. She recognizes that like her, her life's kind of on the line. Mm-hmm. And so she tells her whole story and then she goes like, what now? And he kind of says, okay, well, I had a couple, my first thought was that you marry me and all this, all these problems go away, which clearly she's like, nah, not doing that. Mm -hmm. So then he says, well, I'm kind of sorry, but the, the other options aren't so nice. And so he's saying, I could, um, what I really need is, uh, I need the diamonds. Like that's what I'm after all along. So if you can give me those, Mm -hmm. I can let you go. So she says, okay, well, Harry Rayburn has them. Right. And so he says, well, okay, if you can get Harry Rayburn to come here and give me the diamonds, I'll let you go scot-free. Which she's like, okay, sure, but how can I trust you? And he says, well, you can't, but this is your only option. So do it or else. Okay. So 
he dictates to her to write a letter, which of course she signs off with her real name, not Andy. So she knows that this is that Harry's going to know that it's a that it's a fake, mm-hmm. and it's kind of they've set up this whole plan already. Yeah. And then he sends her up to her room, and they they had I guess she had brought her lug- luggage with her, and so they send it up to her. And as she's going through it, she feels this thing, this hard thing in her toilet tube case that wasn't there before, and she opens it up to find a small pistol. Okay, good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So she's like, okay, she's thinking in her head, how do I conceal this? Like fashion of the day isn't very conducive to hiding a gun, but she puts it in like the top of her stockings. Okay. <laughs> and then I think s- several hours later, she's called back into Sir Eustace's room. And I think he says to her, you shouldn't have, I knew you, I know you lied to me earlier. You like, I know Harry Rayburn doesn't have the diamonds, I just wanted you to get him here for me so that I could dispose of both of you. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the diamonds are actually in one of those film canisters. I heard the story. I had access to Mrs. Blair's stuff and now they're here with me. So like, ha 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 ha. Yeah, okay. Type thing. Basically, he's like, I've ruined your life. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so then Harry Rayburn is shown into the room and... Anne kind of knows the deal. So she starts like inching her way towards Sir Eustace Peddler. And then when Harry Rayburn gives the signal, she pulls out the gun and puts it up to his head. Mm-hmm. And that's like how they like take control of the situation. Okay. And basically they tell him, we knew what was going on this whole time. We knew that your letter to Anne was fake. I knew that the letter from Anne was fake and that it had actually been sent by you. And Colonel Race is a Secret Service officer, and he's on his way here right now. He followed me here. So the show's up, basically. Right. Okay. And so Sir Eustace, in kind of like a last-ditch effort, is like, okay, well, you can't prove I did anything. There's nothing on me. And I'm going to get rid of the diamonds so that you're still a criminal. Who's going to believe you? And then he throws them out into – it's like a war zone at this point. So he throws them basically into like a fire. Okay. Kind of. Or like a burning building. Okay. Then, you know, Colonel Race comes in with all his men and they like apprehend Sir Eustace and Anne goes, ha ha ha, you thought you threw away the diamonds? They're hidden in those 49 trinkets that we bought along the side of the road. Mrs. Blair hollowed them out. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. I was like, why did they buy so many trinkets? Like there had to be. (laughs) yeah <laughs> it was for the it's diamonds oh, I knew it as soon as you said 49 trinkets I was like we can't forget about that piece and then I did forget about it <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> right it's like I wouldn't say anything unless it's at least somewhat important <laughs> man I feel like Sir Eustace wrote the least accurate diary like that he could have written yes <laughs> yes 100% like he just was in his diary just like writing down like fiction and talking about how yeah. much he hates work. Well, he is the colonel and he was retiring. We did know that about him at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because those diamonds were blackmail. Yeah. Right. The ballerina person said it was she would use them as blackmail or something. Yes, oh. basically. She just wanted to get more money out of it. That's right. I forgot that the diamonds were blackmail. Duh. Okay. Wow. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Wasn't it a crazy story? That is a, a very crazy story. I think that the craziest thing about it is, like, the fact that Anne, like, falls in love with this guy whom she rationalized 
didn't necessarily strangle a person with their bare hands so therefore like that's what he would do like i think that the whole fact that there's any sort of love story at all is ridiculous (laughs) yeah are you are you interested in hearing how they end the book because it's kind of disappointing in a a way i yeah definitely i definitely want to (laughs) know so basically the end of the book is Anne saying she doesn't want any adventure anymore or like a job or anything she just wants to marry harry rayburn and live in south africa and like have a kid oh my goodness and that's that she's like literally the best investigator ever what is she doing getting married yeah and then just throws it all away Ugh. which to be fair if that's what you want like that's that's what you that's a good biggest thing in life like power to you it's just disappointing with a story like this I mean I guess she did nearly die more than once in this story I guess that would be like a lot that is true you kind of have to walk away from that lifestyle if you're not into it (laughs) (laughs) she kind of does say that right like I've had enough adventure for my lifetime true okay fair enough fair enough Anne I still would like a sequel though Yeah, this I feel like this would make a great movie as like or just like a great detective character, but she doesn't yeah, she doesn't come up again. She doesn't oh well. Oh well. Man, I did not yeah, I did not suspect Sir Eustace. I was thinking he's too lazy. <laughs> Neither did I at all. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> to me, just the idea that he he had asked Anne, he and he does. He like sends Anne his entire journal manuscript to be like, please use this in your story. Oh, sorry. Okay, the other thing. Mm. Um because I should tie up loose ends. Uh, Sir Eustace escapes and runs away and they never find him again. Oh, okay. All right. So from wherever he is in the middle of nowhere, he sends Anne his journal entries and says, you should use these in a story to which she obliges. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's kind of a weird thing to send to someone who you were going to kill. <laughs> yeah, right? It. Both Anne and Sir Eustace kind of have this like, they both have this like opinion of the other person of like, Anne is kind of happy that he escapes because she, like, was fond of him. And it seems like he was fond of her at the same time. Like, it's very weird. Okay. Yeah, that that must be difficult to navigate <laughs> for them both. <laughs> okay. Interesting. I think we covered it all in the three hours. That three took. hours. This was intense. It was. There's a lot here. That was a great story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me this was great i was so happy to be able to tell this story yeah that was really fun thank you uh and i guess to everyone at home i think i hope you had a good time if you want to you should definitely check out more agatha christie's or mystery novels because they're so fun (laughs) if you'd like to hear more episodes you can listen anywhere you get your podcasts spotify apple music stitcher at tuesday night mystery club if you'd like to see pictures of the book or just get updates of new episodes, you can follow me on Instagram at Tuesday Night Mystery Club. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can send me an email at Tuesday Night Mystery Club at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thank you, Jessica. Thank you. <laughs>